0: Again, I welcome you, especially those of you that are visiting, glad you're uh, here. We're in a a series here at at Big Valley Grace where uh, we're we're looking at the the book of Ephesians together. It was uh, really a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians, a a church much like uh, Big Valley in a lot of ways. He wrote the letter about 30 years after the resurrection of, of Jesus. And so what he would have done, he was in prison, he pins this letter, and uh, I don't know, folds it up, and he sends it snail mail. I mean, that would have been really snail mail back then. And one day, I don't know exactly how it would have worked, but this letter would have arrived. And the pastor of that church would have opened it up and said, oh, wow, I got a letter here from Paul. And I'm sure as he sat at home or his office or whatever that would have been, he read the letter. And then he gathered his church, and um, obviously they didn't have a building like this, they didn't have a pulpit like this, and microphones, and a great bluegrass band, and all that, but he would have gathered the church together, and he would have said, hey folks, I got a letter here from Paul. And I'm sure on that particular weekend, he probably just read the letter, and the people were probably blessed by it. And I don't know, maybe that preacher went home and thought, you know what, man, this letter is so important and so neat. I I think I'm going to maybe break it up and maybe each weekend when people gather, I'll just take a little piece of it and we'll just study it together and look at it together. Sort of like what we're doing right now. We're just looking at this great book, this letter, and we're just trying to pull out a few truths here and there and see what God might have to, to say to us. Uh, Today, we're going to finish up the the first chapter of Ephesians. We're going to look at uh, verse 16 through about 23. But before I do that, I want to do a quick review. So far, we've uh, looked at eight great truths that are found in the first 15 verses of of chapter 1. The truth that God has blessed you. The truth that God has loved you. The truth that God has chosen you. The truth that God has adopted you. The truth that God sent Jesus Christ to shed his blood for you. The truth that God has made his wisdom and his understanding available to you. The truth that God has revealed the mysteries of his will to you. And then last week we looked at number eight, the truth that God gave you his Holy Spirit to indwell you forever. And beloved, I want you to know that this wasn't all of them, there are more truths in those first 15 verses than these but these were the ones that i i chose to look at and i've challenged you over the past few weeks to spend some time meditating on these truths to spend some time thinking about these truths to spend some time in your bible studying these these truths and this is an important thing That when you leave here, it's not just over, you know, I heard a message and I walked out of here and went home and just did whatever, you know, I I do. It's important that you go home with your Bible and continue to study, to continue to dig into this. You know, there's some some good news and some bad news about modern technology. The good news is, is that you could have woke up this morning and... um, uh, through a podcast uh, listen to one of the great preachers of our land you can even listen to the message of messages of some preachers who are now dead with the lord you can leave here in a little bit and go home and listen to a, another great message from another great preacher you could all week long you can listen to a message literally from any great preacher in the world today and you listen to him every day You can listen to two or three different preachers every single day. And and on the one hand, that's a good thing. But the bad thing is, is this, is that you can spend so much time listening to all these great sermons that, that you never really dig in to one of them and say, God, how can I apply this one to my life, to my family, to my future family, to my business, or whatever it might be? You see, here's the deal. I'm not the pastor down at Cross Point. They have a pastor. God raised up a pastor down there, Matt Whiteford, great guy. And I believe that God will put a message and has put a message on, on Pastor uh, Matt's uh, heart for that group of God's people. I'm not the shepherd at uh, uh, Calvary Chapel. God raised one up, Damien, incredible man of God. And those are God's people over there, and I'm sure God put a message on Damien's heart for that group of people. God raised me up to be the shepherd here. I I have a role to play just like all of you. We're all a part of the body of Christ. We all have some role, some function. We're all a part of it. And God, I think, lays a message on my heart for the people of this church. He, He didn't lay this message on my heart For the people at other churches, he laid this message on my heart for his people here. Now, that's not to say if you're visiting with this that, you know, you won't get something out of this. Maybe the reason why you're visiting from another church is maybe God brought you here for just this message. I don't know. And I'm not saying that when you go to another place on vacation or whatever that God can't speak to you. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is is that I believe that God has a message for you today. And I believe it's important that when you leave here, you just don't go, well, that was good, that was neat, and I'll listen to somebody else, and then I'll listen to somebody else, and then I'll listen to somebody else, and when Sunday morning runs around, I'll listen to my pastor. I want you to take these messages, whether it's in this series or any series that we do, and, and have a commitment that when you leave here, you're going to go, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to dig into this thing. I, I, I have a role to play in my own spiritual life. You see, one of the things that happens a lot of times is us preachers take your spiritual life more seriously than you do. And, and, and that's not a good thing. I take this moment very seriously. I take your spiritual life very seriously. And I want you to take it as seriously as I do, if not more. And so you have a role to play in going home and saying, okay, let's dig into this this week. You can use the daily meditation page. There's lots of different ways that you can keep your nose in, in this message. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you can't listen to other, other preachers. I do. Just don't forget about the message that God has for you today. If this is your church, you call Big Valley Grace uh, your, your, your home. Look, the, the, the greater your understanding of these truths, the, the greater your one life's going to be. The greater your walk with the Lord is going to be. Uh, in Psalms 119, it says this, I will never forget your commandments, for by them you give me life. The, the, there, there's something really special about these words. Th- these aren't like any other words written in any other book. These are the very words of God, and they bring life to us. Jesus said it this way in, John, or in Matthew chapter four. He says, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hey, I, I, we all had to have some breakfast this morning. These physical bodies of ours have to have some, some energy. We need, we need some gas in the tank to, to do some things. If we don't eat physical food, these bodies don't function very well. But Jesus says, listen, your inner man, your, your new man, the, the spirit within you, it doesn't care about the pizza you ate last night, it doesn't care about the post toasties you had this morning. It doesn't do a thing for your inner man. Your inner man needs a different kind of food. This is what we as believers need to feed on, you see. And I believe that me challenging you each week to spend some time in in these truths is a good thing, and I want you to to do that. Beloved, the, the fact that God has blessed you and loved you and chose you and adopted you and sent Jesus for you and made his wisdom available to you and revealed his mysteries to you and gave you his Holy Spirit, these are unbelievable thoughts, These are the kinds of things you need to feed on. These are the kinds of things that ought to make you excited about coming to church. These are the kinds of things that ought to motivate you to to live a life that honors God. You see, I think the greater you understand these things, as I said, the the, the greater your one life's going to be. Well, here's the deal. We're going to talk about prayer here this morning because Paul in our text talks about prayer. So let's read our text together, okay? Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse uh, 15 there. The Bible says, Paul says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. Why? So that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are rich and glorious inheritance, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And I'm gonna stop right there, okay? Beloved, the, the, the book of Ephesians was inspired by the Holy Spirit. God, uh, Paul didn't just write this on his own. Supernaturally, the, the Holy Spirit came upon Paul. The Holy Spirit supernaturally taught Paul. And the and supernaturally the Holy Spirit had Paul pin these very words. So this prayer that Paul prayed was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it makes sense that we would take a a closer look at it, because this is a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. In other words, this is a weighty prayer. This is the kind of prayer we ought to look at. I think God has some great thoughts for us as believers about how we ought to pray, because this is a... Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. So here's the deal. I got three thoughts for you. And uh, there was about a thousand different ways uh, I could kind of go with this text. And I chose this way, and I, and I hope that somehow it's a blessing to you. I hope that somehow when I'm done, you go, you know, I got a, I got a thought here on maybe how I might pray maybe differently. Maybe I need to change the way I'm I'm praying or what I'm praying for or how I'm praying because today we've looked at a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. So so here we go. Number one, you have to be committed to, to prayer. And I chose the word committed. In verse 16, Paul says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. And then he says, I pray for you constantly. One version says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then he mentions something. Paul says, I I, I pray for you constantly. I keep asking God. This, this isn't a one time deal. This isn't, you know, one time, you know, I thought about you and I shot up a prayer, you know, and, and then I was off to the races to, you know, and something else. Obviously, Paul was committed to prayer, he was constantly praying, he kept on asking. If you want to have a, a prayer life that really matters or a prayer life where your prayers are answered, you got to be persistent. You gotta keep on praying. If you wanna pray prayers that will have an eternal impact on someone's life, you, you gotta keep getting on your knees. You gotta, you gotta every day allow some room in your schedule where you have morning prayers, you have afternoon prayers, you have evening prayers, and you keep on praying, you keep on doing it, you keep asking God, it's a, it's a persistent thing. You're committed to it. Paul said this in First Thessalonians. He says, never stop praying. Never. Now, does this mean that you're to pray continuously without ever you know, taking a break or whatever? No, that'd be stupid. It simply means that we're to be persistently praying. We're to be consistently praying. We're to be committed to talking with the Lord. Ephesians chapter six says this, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Philippians chapter four, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, everything. You know, you can look at what's happening in the world today and think to yourself, you know, man, what's happening in the Gaza? Whew, that's a, that's a major deal there, man, you know. Better pray for that. Or, wow, what's happening between, you know, us and Russia? Whew, better, man, better, better pray for that. And guess what? You, you need to. But the Bible says we're to pray about everything. That, that, that's being committed to prayer. I don't care what it is. You see, we can look at what's happening in the Gaza and say, man, that, that boy, that's big. We need to really you know, pray about that. We do. But God looks at your life, maybe the things that you think are somewhat mundane, and God says, no, I want you to pray about that too. I want, uh, talk to me about it. I care about what's happening in your life too. Now, I, <laughs> you know, I got five people in my family living under my roof. I can't, I can't even keep track of my own life Let alone the other four. And what we can do is we can think, well, God's like that too. I mean, how in the world, you know, there's you know eight billion people on planet earth, how in the world is he gonna track everything? I don't know, he's God, and he can track it all. And he wants you to come to him in prayer, he wants you to be committed to him to in, in prayer. Jesus told a a great story in Luke chapter 18. It's also kind of a weird story. It says this in verse 1. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And here's the story. There was a judge in a certain city, Jesus said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally the judge said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? There's a commitment there, right? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who uh, have faith? Now, why did Jesus tell this story to his guides? I mean, he's got his guys around and, He shares this story with with them. What was the point? Why did he share the story? What did he want these guys to learn about prayer? Or more importantly, what does he want us to learn about prayer from this story? Well, one of the reasons why Jesus told the story was because he wanted you to understand the importance of prayer in your life. And not just any kind of prayer, but consistent prayer, persistent prayer, or the word I've chosen, Committed prayer. You're committed to it. Now, I, I need to make something clear here, okay? The point of the story isn't that somehow you can wear God down, okay? You can't wear God down. You can wear a person down. My junior hire sometimes wears me down. I just give in. He just comes at me, relentless, and I give in. But the point of this story isn't to somehow give you the impression that you can wear God down because you can't. Okay, God doesn't want you to come to him and ask for the same thing over and over and over and over again until you finally beat him down and wear him out. And he finally says, okay, you know, just to get you off my, my back, I'll answer your prayers. That's not the point of this story. I've told you this before. This is a, a, a story where you see a, an example of what is called comparison by contrast. Jesus is saying, if a heartless, evil, wicked, unsympathetic, uncaring judge will ultimately help you out, how much more can you count on a God who loves you deeply? How much more can you count on a God who made you in his image? How much more can you count on a God who adopted you as one of his own sons? How much more can you count on a, on a God who sent his son to die for you? Beloved, the point of the story is that God is eager to answer your prayers. You don't have to beg him or gripe and complain and, you know, pester him or whatever. God says, I'm not like that judge in that story. I'm eager to answer your prayers. So the question comes up, why be persistent? Why should you keep on praying when God doesn't answer your prayers immediately after you pray them? Well, I want you to know there's lots of reasons, but I'm going to give you one big one, okay? And that is this every time you pray it helps keep your, your focus on god every time you you go to him and you're talking with him your focus is obviously on god and god likes it when his people his children are focused on him i had a there used to be a man in our church they wrote a book about his life it was called Stealing in his soul his name was dick great man And he's with the Lord now. But he used to come into my office. I had an office over here. Every Tuesday, he'd come into my office. And he came with Dr. Calhoun, who was another neat man. And they would pray for me. They'd pray for the teenagers of our church. And uh, one day, I was kind of going through some really crummy stuff. Some some things that really kind of bombarded my life, if you will. And uh, I said, man... Dick, why, why do you think this is going on? He said, let me tell you something, Rick. Anything that gets you on your knees can't be that bad. And it was a whole other way of looking at this crummy thing that was going on in my life. See, it was crummy, it was crummy, and it was crummy, and it was crummy. But the, good, the other side of that coin, one side was crummy, but the other side was it kept me on my knees, which meant it kept my focus on God. And anything that gets you to just keep your focus on, on God can't be that bad. And sometimes our prayers aren't necessarily answered right away because God wants you to keep your focus on Him. Think about it. If, he just, if you prayed and shot a prayer up and He just answered it, you'd just get in your car and drive off and go play tennis or whatever it is you're going to do in life, right? Right? Sometimes, our great God, our Father, doesn't necessarily answer our prayers right away because he wants us to just continue to focus on him, just to be with him. King David said this in Psalms 105. He says, Depend on the Lord and his strength. Always go to him for help. That's where we're to go for help. It's him. Spend time with him. Now, Oftentimes, God uses his people. So you go to him, and the next thing you know, the Lord brings a a brother into your life, a sister into your life who is a blessing to you, you see. But you always want to start with him. God likes it when you come to him. God likes it when you depend on him. Beloved, God wants you to grow in your faith. He wants you to mature in your relationship with him. And one of the great ways that God accomplishes this is by making you wait sometimes. But now I'm going to throw a monkey wrench into the whole thing. Um, I'm going to mess with you. Or at least the word of God is going to mess with you. Some of you are going to struggle with this next passage. Some of you don't, you just don't realize what's happening right now in the heavenly realm. In Daniel chapter 10, we're told a really bizarre story. Daniel has prayed. prayed. Just like any of us have prayed, Daniel, for those of you that are visiting, maybe you don't know much about the Bible, Daniel's kind of a famous guy. You heard of Daniel in the lion's den and all that kind of stuff. Very godly uh, young man. And he prays. And um, he asks God for something, and, and Daniel has a vision where this huge, powerful angel shows up. And this is what it says in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. This angel said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request was heard. God heard your prayers. Woo, that's a good thing. I have come in answer to your prayers. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia that's an evil demon, blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. You can imagine what was going on there. I mean, there's a battle going on. Michael took over so that this other angel could get to Daniel. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Beloved, the reason Daniel didn't get an answer to his prayer right away was because some big, huge, evil demon kept an angel from getting there for 21 days. Huh. Let that sink in for a moment. You see... We just kind of got this thought in our mind that we wake up in the morning and we eat our post toasties and we go to work and we do our thing and we come home and life is great. We don't, we don't even realize that there is a, 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 another world out there, the, the heavenly realm. And we don't know a whole lot about it, but right here we get a, a, a window gets opened into a moment in history where we get some data that's pretty heavy. Pretty heavy. Daniel prays, God hears the prayer, God sends his angel, and in the the, the heavenly realm, the the demons are doing all they can to hold up the prayer, the answer to prayer. And it's not until Michael shows up and kind of takes over the battle, and I don't know how it all works, folks, I don't know. It's at that point that the angel can then come and say, I got the answer to your prayer, Daniel. Daniel. Now, here's the deal. Could it be that you're experiencing something like our brother Daniel experiences? You've prayed. God has an answer to your prayer. But somehow in the heavenly realms, there's a battle going on. And Paul's going to talk more about this battle when we get to chapter 6 of his letter. But we can forget about that. Oh, God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. You know, I've prayed and prayed and prayed. And, you know, and I'm not hearing any answer. It feels like my prayers are just bouncing off the roof. Maybe they're not bouncing off the roof. Maybe there's a war going on right now in a place that we don't fully understand. And in Daniel chapter 10, I, I think we see something that ought to make us be committed to prayer more consistent in our prayers, more persistent in our prayer. I don't care what word you use, whatever one registers in your brain. Now, the, the second thing I want to point out in this Holy Spirit-inspired prayer is this in Ephesians, is you have to remember who you're praying to. You've got to be committed to prayer, but you've got to remember who you're praying to. Once again, in verse 16, Paul says, I have not stop thanking god for you i pray constantly asking god the glorious father of our lord jesus christ you got to remember who you're praying to you're praying to god yeah you're not praying to me you're not praying to the elders of the church i i i got nothing i got nothing to give you except for jesus that's all i got i, I all the elders have is, is nothing Unless they give you Jesus, point you to Jesus, talk about Jesus, give you the word. You, your, your best girlfriend, your best buddy, they got nothing to give you, unless they point you to Christ. And What Paul's saying here is this, listen, I'm praying for you, but let me tell you who I'm praying to. I'm praying to God. Listen, if you've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're a part of God's family. And that makes, you know, the Bible makes this perfectly clear. That he is the one you're praying to, your, your father in heaven. Now, now uh, I want you to think about this. The God who created the heavens and the earth. Just think about this for a second. He thought, heavens, earth. He just, I, he just thought, poof, done. That's the God who you're praying to. The God who placed the stars in the sky, Psalms 147 tells us, and gave them all names. That's the God you're talking to. The God who who uses uh, the earth as his footstool, Isaiah tells us. What an imagery that is. The God sitting in his barca lounger just uses the earth as a place to rest his feet. That's the God who you get to talk to. The God who knows exactly how many days you're going to live upon planet Earth. That's the God you're talking to. The God who formed you when you were in your mother's womb. I mean, think that one through. He formed you when you were in your mother's womb. That's how awesome he is. That he could put together a human life. Eyeballs and ears and you know know, kidneys and spleens and all the stuff, brain. He put it all together. I can't even. uh, I I bought a a weed eater the other day, new weed whacker. Had four parts I had to put together. I I spent five hours on that thing, (laughs) and and I still had three parts left over. Uh, You know, you know, you know. I'm talking about some of you get it. You know. And the world will tell you, you're just here by accident. The God who put you together is the one you're praying to. The God who has power over life and death, he's the one you're praying to. The God of Noah and the ark, the God of Moses and the Red Sea, the God of Joshua and the walls of Jericho, The, the God of David and Goliath, the God of Jonah and the big fish, the God who has no beginning and no end, the great I am, the God of all gods, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He's the one who you're praying to. And here's the good news, he wants you to pray to him. He wants you to come and talk to him. Philippians chapter 4 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Tell him. Hebrews 4 says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace, power, to help us when we need it most. So you got to be committed to prayer. You've got you to say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep praying. And you got to remember who you're praying to. Because when you really understand who you're praying to, guess what? It'll take you back to the first one. You won't have any problem being committed to prayer. Number three. You have to know exactly what you're praying for. Okay, If you really want to have a powerful prayer life, what we see in this Holy Spirit-inspired prayer is—you got to remember, you know, uh, who you're praying to, and all that, all, all that kind of stuff. You got to be committed to it, but then you got to know exactly what you're praying for. And this was the point this past week that really touched me as I was studying—was how the Holy Spirit directed Paul to pray. And what I want to do is this. I want you to maybe to lock into your mind somebody you, you know. It could be your spouse, you know, your husband or your wife. It could be uh, one of your kids, one of your grandkids. It might be one of your parents. It could be some buddy of yours. It could be your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiance, whatever it is. Just kind of think of it. I think, I got that person locked in. And as I walk through this, I want you to think about praying for them this way. When we look at what Paul, what, what Paul prayed for, this is how you ought to be praying for that loved one in your life. This is Holy Spirit-inspired prayers. And the first one is this. Pray that people would grow in their knowledge of God. Pray that your husband would grow in his knowledge of God. Pray that your spouse, your wife, would grow in the knowledge of God. Pray for your teenagers that they grow in their knowledge of God. Pray for your father, that they grow in the knowledge of God. Pray for your fiance, for your, for your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whoever it might be. This is how you ought to pray. He's, Paul says, I haven't stopped thanking God for you, and I pray constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for what? To give you spiritual wisdom and insight, why? So that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Beloved, this is a great prayer. When you pray that for your spouse, when you pray that for your kid, when you pray that for your parents, that's a great prayer. Man, I pray that my husband, my wife, my kids would grow in their knowledge of who God is. I pray that my fiance would grow in their knowledge of who God is. And by the way, it's a great prayer that you ought to pray for yourself. God help me to grow and my knowledge of who you are. This might be the most important prayer that you could pray for somebody. When you're praying for someone, whether it be your spouse or your kids, your parents, a friend, whoever, you need to pray that God would give them supernatural spiritual wisdom and insight so that they would grow in their knowledge of God. Beloved, it's God's will that every Christian grow spiritually. Hebrews chapter 6 says this, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again and again. In other words, man, you know, uh, you got to start growing. In fact, he says, let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Now look, this is a church that reaches lots of people. We have lots of new believers in our church. And it's okay if you don't know anything. Really, I mean, we get it. I get it. Sometimes when you're brand new in the faith, you got to kind of go over something over and over again. Think about the first time you started on your job. Some of you have been there for 30 years. Man, your supervisor, your manager, the owner of the business had to go over something again and again and again and again because you were new at it. You didn't know anything about it. But now, 30 years later, you've matured. In fact, you've matured to the point where you're training the newbies now, right? You're training the, the greenhorns. It's okay for some of you, because you're new in the Lord, not to know a whole lot about the Scriptures. You don't know a lot about God. But it's not okay for some of you who have walked with God for you know, two, three years, uh, uh, two or three decades, and you still don't really even know the basic things about God. You, you just haven't spent time studying this book. You haven't spent time really saying, I'm going to dig into this book. Oh, you may have listened to lots of sermons, but you really haven't, you know, sat down with a cup of coffee or whatever it is and says, okay, God, here's the deal. I really want to get to know who you are. I heard a great sermon today in church, and I'm going to keep digging into this thing. I really want to understand these great truths about you. I want to, I want to really know them in, in, my, in my heart. This is important because the deeper your relationship with God is, the the greater the chance you'll conduct your life in such a way that you'll bring honor and glory to God. The more mature you are spiritually, the greater the chances you'll live a a life according to God's will. You, you, You can't pull off God's will if you don't know what God's will is. See? One of the purposes of big valley grace is to help everybody grow spiritually it's one of the 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 purposes that we have in fact i want you to know seeing people grow in their faith is one of the most rewarding parts of ministry for me i'll I'll tell you i've been here a lot of years decades and it's really fun to see someone give their life to jesus christ they don't know anything they they don't even they don't know what a bible is you know you know they, they open their bible up and they turn to some pages and they go wow god has a section on jobs it's unbelievable man that god is that interested in our lives they don't know they don't know anything and then you watch them you know make a commitment to be here at church make a commitment to study the word of god they get involved in our men's ministry our women's ministries they get involved in a bible study they get involved in serving the lord somewhere Man, it's unbelievable to, to see somebody, you know, and some of you have been around here for a lot of decades, and I've watched you just as you've watched me. Okay, My friend George Brown sitting right back there. George knew me about the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. It's fun to see people grow and mature in their faith, become disciples, if you will, of, of Christ. I'm going to tell you something. There's just, there, there's just nothing better than that. But I want you to know, on the flip side, the most miserable, you know, miserable part of ministry um, is seeing people who, who could have grown but, but, but aren't. I just, I want you to know something, that just, just really bums me out. In fact, it's probably the thing that bums me out the most, is when you see somebody who they gave their life to Christ, at least they say they did, and they never go anywhere. And they just keep... Living in their sinful life and just, damn. I was uh, talking with a, a pastor the other day from our city, and um, you know what I find out is that, is that you know all the pastors in this town are, are weird except for me. I, you know, there 's actually got some weird guys in our town. Anyway, uh, I'm sure when I leave a lunch with those guys, they go, man, that guy's weird. Um, anyway, this guy great guy and super inter- energetic and you know hey i want you to know i'm about one thing and one thing only i'm about reaching the lost that's what i'm about i'm about reaching the lost. everything we do is about reaching the lost. we put all our resources in reaching the lost. and he just kept going on the grid he had all these great words the grid that we put everything through is about reaching the lost. Da, da, da. and uh, you know it's like he had a couple of red bulls and it was just whoa and finally, I said, well, let me ask you something. So what do you do with the guy who they give their life to, to Christ? Now what do you do with him? What, do you send him to other churches? He goes, well, what do you mean? And I go, well, I know you're all about reaching the lost, and that's great. And all your resources and all your money and all your dough, the grid, the thing, all the six lines. You know, Woo! You, you got and then that guy gives their life to Christ. Now what? What do you do with him? He goes, oh, well, uh, you know, we, we, we got a you know, Bible study kind of thing. And I said, well, I thought you said every resource, every nickel, every dime, every grid, the, thing, the same thing. So you do do something for them. I said, you know, Jesus said go and make disciples. It's about making disciples. Now, you can't make a disciple unless you win them to Christ, I get it. But the idea is they become a disciple and then that's something that just doesn't happen overnight. And one of the things we're committed to here is making disciples, helping people grow in their faith. We've got all kinds of things. You don't like our women's ministry? That's okay. There's something else. You don't like our men's ministry? That's okay. I get it. We're all different. But there's no excuse as to why you aren't growing in your faith. And maybe what we need to do as a church family is just be more committed to saying, I'm going to pray for the people of my church and pray for myself that I would grow in my knowledge of who God is. Romans chapter 8 says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. Beloved, God's will for your life isn't to make you happy or wealthy or keep you in perfect health. His will is that your life would be transformed into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ, which is just another way to say that God wants you to grow. He wants you to mature into the man or the woman that God wants you to, to be. Now, I want you to understand there's nothing wrong with you know, praying for somebody that has a lump where there's not supposed to be a lump. We do that all the time here. God, God tells us to do that. There's nothing wrong with praying for your marriage. There's nothing wrong with praying for your teenager. There's nothing wrong with praying to God and asking him to bless your business. Nothing wrong with those things. You need to do that. But here is a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. And Paul says, this is how I'm praying for you, that you would grow in your knowledge of who God is. And you can't do that outside of having the Holy Spirit in you, you see. And maybe we as a church ought to say, you know what, I'm going to make that a part of my my prayer time, praying for my brothers and sisters, that very prayer. Number two, you need to pray that people would grow in their understanding of of hope, biblical hope. Verse 18 says, Paul says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called. And What exactly is our hope as believers? Well, listen to what Paul said in Titus chapter 2. This will give you a little taste of it. Paul said, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. What's that? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our great hope. That's the, the biblical hope that we all have. That someday Jesus Christ is gonna come and get us out of this place or we're gonna take our last breath and be with him in, in glory for, forever. Philippians chapter three says, but we are citizens of heaven Christ, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. That's our great hope, that this isn't it. Beloved, if all there was was this, (laughs) I wouldn't be here right now. Uh, I'd go do something else. I'd go figure out a way, and I I used to know how to do it pretty good, how to just numb myself to life. There's lots of ways to just numb yourself to life. But when you understand that this isn't it, that when you know Christ as your savior, we have an incredible hope that either when I die, I'm gonna be in his presence, or he's coming back someday to get me. Wow, it changes everything. The, the big $10 theological word is glorification. There's coming a moment where I'll be glorified. I, I'm gonna be in the very presence of God. And when you when you really understand that, it'll change the way you live. It'll change the way you, you look at the problems of your life, the, the bummers of, of life. When you really understand that when jesus said i'm i'm going to heaven and i'm going to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare that place for you i'm telling you i'll come and get you so you can be where i'm at when you really get it when you really understand let me tell you something change the way you live you see the the original disciples they got it see they saw jesus dead they knew he was dead they saw him put into the tomb and they thought, you know, life was over. And then, boom, there he was, resurrected. They knew that this was a real gig. And so for them to lose their life, it was no big deal. They saw the resurrected Lord. And so, you know what? Throw me in prison. Cut off my head. Throw me off the Temple Mount. Beat me. It does not matter because I know what my hope is. That I'll be in the presence of God. He conquered death and so am I. But too often, we really don't understand that. And so it impacts how we live. It impacts how we react to the things of life. And one of the great ways that you can pray for that loved one that I had you lock on, think about, is to not only pray that they would grow in their knowledge about God and who God is and all that stuff, but that they would really bore down on the fact that this this isn't it. This world isn't it. There's coming a day when I'll fly away some glad morning. You know, it's not just a song we sing. That's a reality of a biblical truth that we're singing about there. Listen to what Peter said in chapter 3. Give you another reason why it's important for you to know and understand your hope. Peter said, always be ready to answer everyone who asks you to to explain about the hope you have. See, not only will it change your life, but all of us are to be prepared to really unpack our hope. Not, well, uh, let's see, um, you know, uh, know, I go to Big Valley. That's why I'm going to heaven. No, you're not going to heaven because of Big Valley. Well... Um, you know, um, I tithe, you know. That's not where you're going to heaven. I think it'd be really interesting to just one at a time have people come up to a mic and have you share the hope that you have. And how would you unpack it? Probably most of you couldn't do it. Most of you couldn't talk about the fact that your sin had separated you from God. Most of you w- w- wouldn't, even, wouldn't even know where to begin. That there was nothing that, that you could do to fix the separation that sin had brought. But that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to come and be a sacrifice for you. And he shed his blood on the cross, was buried, was resurrected, is at the right hand of the Father. And When I invited Jesus Christ into my life, he, he fixed that, that severed relationship. He cleansed me of my sin. You couldn't unpack it. You you wouldn't know what verses to grab to share with them that these just aren't your opinions, but these are actually the words of of God. So number one, we need to pray that people would grow in their knowledge of God. Number two, we need to pray that people would grow in their understanding of biblical hope. Number three, pray that that, uh, people would grow in their awareness of their value. Paul makes a really interesting statement in verse 18. He says, I pray that the heart's Uh, that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he's given to those. He called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Beloved, I I don't get it. (laughs) God has everything he needs, right? But the Bible says that I'm his inheritance. (laughs) That's pretty good. That when I finally take my last breath or he comes, I'm his inheritance. When I show up in heaven, woo, there you are, Rick, come on. You're my inheritance. That's how valuable I am to God. That he looks down here and sees me and says, that guy down there is my inheritance. When he gets up to glory, he's my inheritance. And if you know Christ, that's true for you too. The Bible says that God made you in his very image. The Bible says that God looks at you as his prized possession. The Bible says that God sees you as as a treasure. The Bible says that God is preparing a place for you in heaven. The Bible says that God loves you. The Bible says that God sent his son to die on a cross for you. The Bible says that God has adopted you. All this to say, you're pretty valuable to God, and people don't understand it. We're living in a time when, you know, there's just a self-esteem crisis happening in our country. And it's because people don't understand how valuable they are to God. They don't get it. We've taught them that they're just educated, you know, goo, that they're a little higher up the evolutionary chain than a monkey. Well, no wonder they don't have any respect for themselves or respect for anybody else. No wonder they don't have any self-esteem because they don't understand how valuable they are. Ron Blanc, who used to be a, a pastor here, said this. He said, we did not become valuable because Jesus died on a cross for us. He died on a cross for us because we were valuable to him. You see, when he died on the cross, that didn't, at that moment, well, that's what made us valuable, no. He came and died on the cross because you are valuable to God. You were made in his very image. And last but not least, pray that people would grow in their experience of God's power. He says, I I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Beloved, Paul doesn't pray that God's power would be given to them. He prays that they would understand the power that's already within them. And it's something that I think we all need to be praying for each other about because, frankly, from my vantage point, um, I don't see people experiencing God's power in their life. Acts chapter 1 says, but when you receive, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. As I said last week, and I say often, you know, too many believers in our country just cower. We're just afraid to stand up for righteousness. We're afraid to stand up for truth. We're afraid to stand up for what the Bible clearly teaches, for biblical morality, for biblical ethics. We're, we're, we're more worried about, at times, making sure that you know we're invited to the right parties, or that people like us, or people don't say crummy things about us. And they don't experience God's power in their life. And and I think one of the great prayers for believers today is that they would experience it, that they would understand the power that's within them, and that they would act on it. And not not be afraid. Here's the bottom line. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 26. He said, Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. The spirit's willing, but the body's weak. Let me just tell you something. You need God's Power to overcome your flesh. And so obviously when you see believers that are just all goofed up in sin and living in sin and unrighteousness, they're not experiencing God's power in their life. Paul's going to say this in Ephesians chapter 6, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Peter weighs in and says, watch out, your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. Look, here's the the deal. The only way you're going to overcome the demons and 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 all of that is you've got to tap into the power that God has already given you and we need to pray that we would experience it more in our daily lives John gave us a, a huge truth in first John chapter 4 he says but you belong to God my dear children You have already won a victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in this world. Are you experiencing that power in your life? This is truth. God's power in you is greater than anything else. We need to pray that we as believers or whoever that loved one is that I had you lock on to would start experiencing that power to a a, a greater degree. So you have to be committed to prayer. You have to know who you're praying to, and you need to know exactly uh, what you're praying for. And you pray that people would grow in their knowledge of God. You pray that people would grow in their understanding of biblical hope. You pray that people would grow in their awareness of their value. And you pray that people would grow in their experiences, uh, experience of God's power in their life. And it's my hope and goal, and I want to encourage you here as I pray, that, um, that you go home and you say, you know what, maybe... I'll take this Holy Spirit inspired prayer and begin to use it as a template maybe in those people's lives that I care about. These would be the kinds of things that you would say, I'm gonna gonna really pray this for my wife, for my husband, for my kids, for my grandkids, whoever they might be. Over in the venue, why don't you stand? Everybody stand in here. Pastor Joel, I'm gonna hand that thing over to you right now so you can walk up. and. Father, thanks, Lord, for uh, today. And, man, I really enjoyed this music. Thank you, God, for this team of really just talented people. And uh, I'm thankful, God, that I had a chance to give and worship you through my giving. And the fellowship that we had before and after now, God, is just a sweet thing. Thank you for your word. And I hope, God, that this prayer... These few things, Lord, would really bounce around in our minds and might change how we pray for those that we care about. Thanks, God, for your goodness to us. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord, bless you.